Welcome to the Joshua Morales Podcast. All right, so Ruben, we had a podcast before, but everything that's happened between then and now is completely different. Completely different. You know, I, I went from uh, being somebody who made the, their livelihood on, on the small business and the platforms of social media, meaning Instagram pr primarily for ourselves, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and how to leverage that for small business. And now I've uh, gotten back into my old roots, which are public service. I am now the uh, executive director for the La Jolla Housing Authority here in the uh, western part of Hidalgo County. Was it a hard transition? It was not as hard as you might think. It, it, once, once you get the experience of being in public service and doing what you need to do for a group of people that need help, uh, I, won't, I won't even say the cliche of getting that bicycle. It's more like uh, you're walking and then you're running, and so I'm running again. Because being in social media at the beginning was running, but I had gotten comfortable. I knew what was going on. I, was I knew the frameworks just the way you do of what you do. We, I know we're off camera talking about uh, our different platforms of choice. Yeah. You know, I enjoy Twitter, uh, Instagram, and, and I know Facebook's a big thing because you work the back end of it. So getting back into it was a transition, absolutely. It was more of a personal transition because my wife was my business partner, so we worked every day together. And we traveled together. And I know a lot of people think, oh, that's crazy, but that was our life, and we really enjoyed it. So that's been a more difficult transition kind of coming into the thing where, uh, hi honey, I'm, I'm back from work or hi honey, I'm on my way to work. Yeah. So for my personal life, it's been a big transition for myself personally. What I do, not that much. It's, um, I enjoy being out here. So being, you know, back in the saddle again is cool. How was, how was that transition? How was that conversation with your wife? Cause, uh, I know when I was trying to transition into different things, digital marketing, right? I was coming from a restaurant world. And my family owned it. So one day I was going to own it. I was like, mm, maybe this is not what I want to do. So what was that conversation like? Because mine wasn't very good. Um, my, my wife, uh, she's the Insta professor on all her platforms, social media. She's really done a great job of uh, leveraging herself and letting the people in her message. It was, it was uh, not as, as tricky as I thought uh, when I first came up to her and said, hey, this position's open. You know, I think I'm interested in maybe applying and she kind of mulled around a little bit and give it some thought. And uh, she just told me she said, if that's what you want. I'll support you. And that's a great thing about my relationship. It's never been about holding each other back, but pushing ourselves forward and encouraging each other. Uh, she did know that was going to be a big transition because I say our family business was Bold Media and I was half of Bold Media. I was kind of the guy who does a lot of this. I was you know, taking care of the technical stuff. But it, it was challenging. I'll tell you what, talking to her and having that big, long talk as, as a couple, as a family, because uh, it was a family business and still kind of is, uh, was uh, it was a little gut wrenching because I mean, change is difficult. And we had gotten into this zone and uh, again, getting back in the world of housing, although it is public service, it's not the public service that I knew. I came from the world of city government. And I knew that well. So I'm learning the language of housing because housing's under HUD, housing and urban, urban development. Okay. So your, your industry that you're in now, actually, let me get this a little closer. It sounds so much better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the industry that you're in now, obviously, there's a lot of help that needs to be done here. And you, I think we were talking off camera. You said you're working with a zero budget. Well, I, I work on zero budget when it comes to doing uh, community events. Like yesterday, we had a very successful fall harvest. I mean, a big, big tip of the hat to all the people out there that do volunteer work. Uh, we had Milagro that was here, Milagro Clinic. We had uh, uh, the Confident Planner. She has a, a insurance agency out of Edinburgh that spills over into different parts of the county. So they came in and they gave cotton candy and they did the, the nachos thing and... and uh, all for free. They just wanted to communicate with the community that they're interested in. And yeah, they're trying to drum up a little bit of business, but more than anything else, they have a big community heart. So they were out here trying to help. Uh, there's no secret that La Jolla Housing Authority has been one of those housing authorities that's had a, a rock and roll uh, roller coaster ride, ups and downs. And let's just say right now, I'm working on an upswing, trying to bring things back. And it's been very challenging because we have a lot of inner challenges of organization that is uh, uh, required my every skill, not yeah. just necessarily uh, understanding budgets, but how to organize, how to focus, how to spend the money correctly. And actually, I want to tell you what, that a lot of that education also has to spill over into a board of commissioners, which I have. I have a board of commissioners. And if anybody out there deals with boards, 
uh, whether it be a school board or whether it be a board of commissioners or a housing authority, knows that there's a lot of personalities that you have to juggle. But if everybody has the interest of the organization at heart, thing, good things will happen. But that's not always the case, right? No, yeah. no, no, no. Uh, you know what? I, I wish to say in the perfect world that uh, people that get into appointed positions and or elected positions always have the best interest. I'm not saying they don't have the best interest. Sometimes they have misunderstanding of what that should be. Uh, the confines of what we do is, is in, in the world of public service is sometimes lost because it is public service. It, you're basically volunteering your time for little or no thanks and little or no money. And uh, I did it for many years. I did it for 14 years. Before that, I was in the volunteer world for about 10. So if you get that, I've been doing it 24 years. And I it fulfilled me. It gave me such a deep understanding of community and such a great foundation. But again, we got to pay the bills and yeah. we got to make sure that we uh, take care of our financial obligations. So sometimes when you have these boards, this is an appointed board, it, they get appointed by the mayor of, of this community. Uh, there's a learning curve. I'm glad to tell you that the board that, I, that I'm with now is very, very, very uh, uh, astute. They're wanting to learn or relearn because I have two uh, older members, three older members, and I have two new members, but they're coming together. And when that happens, you get new people in. Chemistry changes. Yeah. And the chemistry that I see right now is extremely positive and it seems like it's going to be extremely productive. Talk about the, the mentality of the people here, because we were talking off camera about it, you had that local event yesterday, right? And people yeah. were very timid about coming in. It was like, well, how much does it cost? Well, they, you know, it's in the housing authority. And if anyone knows what the housing authority is, it's a great big housing complex. Sometimes it's apartments. It can be homes. Um, they weren't uh, understanding necessarily what was going on. They, they saw the function and they thought there was some kind of a cost configuration, like, well, I can't go because it costs money or how much are they selling hot dogs for or, and, you know, slowly but surely, they kept on getting a little more confident. And, you know, the mindset in small communities like this, I come from a community a lot like La Jolla. I'm originally from Rio Grande City, which is just west of here. And I tell you that we're very warm, very inviting, big extended families. We take uh, many, many things to heart as far as uh, community goes, except in the world of politics. Like I joked a while ago, I told you, if you're in politics, that's where the barriers come down and you, you go at it. It's a blood sport. Yeah. It, just, it just happens that way. But uh, here in La Jolla, I want to say right now, Josh, that the reception that we've had has been extraordinary. Uh, I think because they're seeing us try so hard. We are. We're trying to make do with very little money that right now is, is, is a problem. And our, our tenants are learning a new way of working also. Uh, the discipline of, of them paying in a timely fashion, because this is a housing authority. This is not free housing. Right. Let me make it real clear out there in the world that this is not free housing. There's a formula that they uh, are, are computed against and then they pay an X amount of dollars versus you know, somebody, their neighbor that might pay a little bit more. Right. And so there is no free housing. This is assisted home uh, living and everybody pays. What, well, how do you feel like the, the community specifically here, like what, what mentality do they have? Because I, I feel like, like, once again, I feel like they're very timid. Does that hinder their growth mindset? Or, or I guess because we're what I was trained or how I trained myself was to have a growth mindset, just experience life, right? Do well, these people have these opportunities? The, the mindset here was don't, don't question, don't ask. Whatever you get, you get. Be satisfied, even if it's substandard. Um, and uh, unfortunately, that was happening for quite a while here. There was a very much of a, of a feeling of, you know, Average is okay or less than average is okay. Nobody's going to complain. This is affordable housing. And I saw that mindset over and over within the tenants and within the, the substructure of, of this organization. And when I came in here, I didn't come in here with that mentality. I came in here with a mentality of make it better, improve, make it create opportunities, uh, let them understand that just because they're in affordable housing doesn't mean they can't have nice things. They can right. have nice events. They can have nice facilities. Uh, and we're working on it, but it, it's, I'm, I'm going to be very clear. It's, it's an uphill battle. This agency, as I walk in here, is what's uh, called a troubled agency, meaning that they have not complied with HUD appropriately. So the process to bring it back is substantial. But I walked in here with, with my eyes wide open. I didn't come in here thinking, oh, it's going to be a slam dunk. I got this. I got this. I got this. You know, speaking federal government is a language. I dealt a lot in my 
previous uh, experience of city government with state agencies. And let's just say that when you deal with uh, federal agencies, it's exponentially more challenging five times probably because you got to talk to five, five times as many people to get to the same point where in a state agency you might talk to two. So yeah. that communication lines uh, have to extend beyond the borders of Adelgo County or La Jolla, Texas. And yes, you got to talk to you know, your federal agencies in a certain way, but I speak fluent government and, and that helps an awful lot, but they're all about accountability, transparency, and uh, filling out the forms necessary on a timely basis. And that, that wasn't happening, but it's going to happen now. Knowing that you were going to come into something like this that was going to be a huge headache and knowing that it's going to be an uphill battle, why would you even choose to come into something like this? You know, you're the second person that asked me that. I, everybody has an adrenaline. You know, some people jump out of planes. You know, some people go surfing and, and ride that big wave. I mean, some people go jogging and, you know, they want to hit a certain time frame. My adrenaline is helping communities that don't have big enough a voice for themselves and that have fallen to the point, I call it the kick the can mentality, where, okay, I'm that can that can kick me around. Yeah. Um, nobody has to be that can that get kicked around. I came from Rio Grande City, and I want to say when I came in there, that kind of had that mentality, like, oh, we're just Rio Grande City, or we're just Stark County. Uh, people deserve the best possible services, the best possible living conditions, not better, not worse than everybody else, but what everybody else has. But a lot of that comes from within. You gotta have to want it. You gotta have to expect it, and you gotta have to uh, almost demand that the people representing you give you that. And I'm trying to communicate that to to the community here, and especially the the tenants that they're gonna have as nice things as everybody else has, if maybe even better. Yeah. And case in point, yesterday we had that community event here at this facility, and it was the first event of its kind that I'm aware of. I've been told by other people that have been here longer that that had never happened before and what it was it was pretty much like an outdoor event with you know face painting and hot dogs and tacos and and uh, a lot of you know good fellowship just a happy time for kids kids enjoyed it and what i will tell you that's very surprising in this housing authority i don't know about all the same i walked in here knowing about the challenges but i thought i was going to deal more with you know older families perhaps you know maybe some people that were not quite senior citizens but almost there I have a lot of very, very young families, a lot of, a lot of single moms, uh, and everything that goes with that, I don't want to say that all my tenants are that, but yeah, there's been some domestic dis- dis- violence, there's been, you know, the things you hear in society that aren't as positive, and, you know, these moms are busting their butt trying to give their kids the best possible opportunities, and the housing authority here in La Jolla is going to make sure that those moms have a little help, and meaning, you know, their, their apartments or their homes or their castle. And uh, anything we can do to make it better, that's what we're here for. Yes, I mean, because at the end of the day, that's the only thing they have to go back to, right? And with their families. You know, when we have fond memories of childhood and growing up, I mean, we might have had our our family home. It's not necessarily location, Josh. It's just having that warmth of of security, knowing that that this is where we belong, this is where we live. And here in the La Jolla Housing Authority, Keep in mind, they don't own these, these uh, houses and or apartments, but I've had several tenants tell me, this, this is my home. This is, this is my home. Yeah. And it, it warms me that they have that kind of, uh, of understanding and attitude because it is their home. It belongs to them. Yeah. yeah, it belongs to the federal government, but when it comes to the soul of the house and the household, it's, it's that family that gives it, gives it life. If, if you want to understand what it feels like, go into an empty house and see how how vacant it is and how echoey and how it lacks personality and character, but you throw a family in there, it takes life right away. So again, these, these uh, opportunities that I want to provide for them are just, I want to say, basic. And uh, we're also creating uh, other things besides uh, just events. We're working on a kid's library. We're going to be working on some inner spiritual kind of yoga thing for, okay. the, for the tenants. Uh, things More like, like mental health type of mental stuff. Mental health, you know, wellness uh, good attitude towards life. Again, believe you me, a lot of these tenants here have a lot of challenges, and they do, uh, not just financially, but otherwise, as families have. But if you, you know, we, we do more than just the average of thinking, oh, just as long as their, their air condition works or just as long as their water heater works, that's enough. All right. We can do more. Yeah. We can. So we can't sit here and not talk about social media. Social <laughs> media, we have a really good background in social media. You integrated social media here with your new job. Touch on that because I think that's fascinating because 
you're so skilled in the social media world. You were, well, actually touch on that because touch on what you were doing with Bold Media and how you brought it into the housing authority. Um, and you, you know how I brought it in? I brought it in by forgetting to connect the mic. So let, hold on. <laughs> Go for it. Go ahead. <laughs> So we'll jump right there. Okay, I'll tell you what. Uh, it's imperfect. You know, social media is imperfect. And yeah. that was the best example. That's I, the great thing about it. I, I set everything up and I forgot to ignite the mic. Um, uh, what I did immediately, of course, I had a background in social media, but I knew that that's a great communicator. If you want to throw a lifeline of information out there in the world, you do it through social media. That's where the eyeballs are. You and I have talked about that over and over. And uh, I'm proud to say that now we have an Instagram. We have a real active Facebook. And... Uh, here in this area of La Jolla, Facebook is, is, is substantial, it's big, it's really big. I, I'm, I'm more of a creature of Twitter and cre- a creature of, of Instagram, but coming here and realizing how important and how big it, uh, Facebook was, I'm encouraging the, re- the residents, because we have a, we all, I didn't even talk about it, we have a food pantry also that we just started about a week ago, and it's seen an incredible, incredible success, and, and we just had somebody that we delivered food to right now for, for this podcast. Um, but I, I announced it. We announced it mostly through social media because the people that were serving on the food on the food pantry side has been uh, mostly from La Jolla, but the, the outlying areas. Mm-hmm. And we want that. If, if they if they can uh, if they need food and they're hungry, there's no reason in this in this world that we live in that somebody goes hungry, whether it be a family or 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 adults. So we're going to try to satisfy that. But I'm using social media as a way to communicate every activity that goes on here with the utmost of transparency and accountability. It serves the purpose of, of, of us as an organization, but it also serves of the community letting, in, letting them know that if La Jolla's housing authority was having some bumps in the road in the previous experience, that we're smoothing those bumps out and gonna make things more, uh, more fruitful for them. And not just the tenants here, like I guess the, the food pantry is a good example. That's for anybody who in La Jolla who needs, needs to eat something, needs, yeah. feels hunger. I mean, come look for us and we'll, we'll satisfy that it's definitely a, a great tool to get your message out i feel like a, a lot of businesses a lot of nonprofits as well like they they don't want to get on social media because they don't want to use it from a business standpoint but at the same time you're crafting a story you're crafting you're bringing people along for the journey and people can live with you along the journey they can see what you're doing and that level of transparency i think is key to building a good community for the long term what do you think about that? Well, I'll tell you what. One thing about social media that you open it up, you're opening up a large part of who you are, and it, it makes people very nervous uh, because you both you and I know that to do social media correctly, it takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. It takes commitment. It takes you know posting every day and letting people know what the latest is happening. Uh, if you're posting once a day, once a week, excuse me, once a week, and you think you're covering your social media, you're not covering it for a, an organization like this. And if you're trying to brand yourself in your business in, in the social media world, you're not even making half an effort, and you know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think actually having a face in front of the camera is something that 99% of people will not do. I, and I, I don't, I don't know why, but maybe uh, this is a conversation I have with a lot of people: is jump in front of the camera, jump in front of the camera. This is what I tell all business owners, and they're like, "Well, I just, I'm not that type of person." It's like, "All right, well, you're missing out on a huge." A huge chunk of people that you could be reaching by telling your story and they just will not do it and that gives the people like us that will jump in front of a camera an edge and we're just going to surpass those people yeah i, I want to tell you what that you're hitting on something very key the, the willingness to put yourself out there uh, nobody can tell your story the way you would because it's your story it's your business it's your branding it's it's your livelihood and you can hire somebody like you or myself or yourself and say, oh, you know what, go tell my story. But nothing can compare to that small business owner, to that person whose uh, livelihood is out there every single day to tell the story about whatever it is they're selling, whether it be cars or whether they're selling a plumbing service or whether they're selling air conditioning services, whatever they're selling. Nobody can tell the story the way they can. But the thing about, about being in front of a camera, any camera, that, especially in social media, I think people... Uh, uh, get taken back by the fact that it's, it's very unforgiving. 
Yeah. Like right now, I started talking yapping away, and I forgot to connect the mic, and all of a sudden, I realized people can't even hear what we're saying. They're just seeing some babble. Yeah. You know, it's about imperfection, but it's about getting some imperfections and making them work for you. Uh, you and I know that sometimes, I mean, I'm still a video creator. When I create videos, I give this big, long-winded message, and the person that reaches out to me in the line that actually takes time to send me a message is like, oh, it's a cool T-shirt. Where'd you get it? Yeah. You know, forget my message about impact, uh, impacting society or about helping your business. <laughs> Where'd you get that T-shirt? And it, it's okay. You know what? If, if, that, if they're responding to you, that means they're listening. But nonprofits, I'm telling you what, right, especially because I am one now, absolutely have to get past that fear and that apprehension and they need to jump into the social media world i mean like yesterday and i mean like every single day almost to the point of of, of uh delirium where it's like oh there's that guy again with right. a big mustache talking to me again uh if you're in the social media i mean sorry in in the nonprofit world it's a world of very very high competitiveness i'm not the only nonprofit out there i mean i know that i have a big need but every nonprofit out there has a big need, uh, whether it be one raising money for cancer or supporting cancer efforts, or whether it be one uh, that, that does hospice work or one like self that provides housing. Every uh, purpose that's out there, every cause is good, but the person that gets out there and gives a message is the one that's going to get the help. Yeah. And people only have so much help to give. And to make that transition to social media, and I mean really make it. Don't, you know, hiring a guy like you, like you or I or... My wife, who does the same thing as, as what we do, kind of, you do a little different. But it, again, if you're going to be serious about it, you're not only going to let that person do their job. You're going you're gonna to ask that person, how can I help you to do your job better? Yeah. And I feel like, like what, what we do is we jump in front of the camera. We're giving out information. We're giving out education. We're, we're teaching people stuff, right? And a lot of times you won't get a lot of views. But those people that reach out to you, like you were talking about, really make it worth it because just like I was telling you, I was having conversations with people on different platforms, like for the past few days, just asking me about marketing stuff. These aren't the people that are liking and commenting and stuff like that, but they'll reach out to you at a more personal level. And that's what I think the biggest takeaway is because a lot of people see likes that you have to have this many 30,000, 40,000, a hundred thousand likes. You know what? You're, you're being impactful to one person. That's right. I think that's the key and a lot of people love that surface layer of stuff. But I think the key is, you know, you have that impactful. Like, I know for a fact, I I inspired a guy to jump on a podcast to talk about wrestling. I know for sure. It's awesome. It's cool. I mean, like, I, I'm for that because I know if I can get more people to do what I'm doing, it's going to become more accepted. And it's just, it's, it's a win-win for everybody, right? I want to be at the forefront of it, be able to talk to people and say, yeah, you can do this stuff. It's easy. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? It, the getting past the initial fear is hard, um, but you know the thing about it is, you know what you saying. Get in front of the camera. Get in front of the camera. You don't have to. If you have somebody like yourself or, my, or like myself in my, in my previous job, we'll walk you through that point, that difficult transition to make yourself comfortable and make you feel like you're in control of of whatever's going on out there. You know whether you know, oh well, you know what talk a little bit more about this or talk a little bit more about about this service that you offer. But that's what we kind of kind of do. And, you know, I want to touch on something you mentioned right now, the, the big world of likes. That, well, I, I just did a piece on it, I, the three uh, types of engagement, which is a view or a listen in this case. And the second one is that famous like or that like button. And, and, and the third, of course, is, is a, a comment that you actually leave, that you actually leave an organic comment. Getting back to the like, uh, I don't know if you've read, but I've read quite a few uh, pieces of, of, of information that are indicating that Facebook and Instagram are seriously considering getting rid of likes altogether. Yeah, I think they did in Australia, right? Australia, yeah. they're, they're experimenting with it. But what I've read, and I've done some serious reading, they're going to apply that everywhere. And it, I think it's genius, Josh. I really, because all of a sudden your content doesn't compete with anybody. Right. Your content's just your content. It can be so-so and it can be great. But it's not going to be gauged on like. It's going to be gauged on the amount of effort you put behind it to engage with people and say, "Hey, Josh, I really like that jacket," or "Hey, that 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 that's that's a cool that's a cool motorcycle." Mm -hmm. Oh, wow! That where'd you where'd you catch that fish? You know, that's where real engagement happens. This thing about like 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 like, and then you have somebody has, oh, I can't go put my content out there because I only get twenty likes, and so and so who does what I do gets you know five hundred and twenty five likes every time they put something out there. Right. 
it's it's a good thing to get rid of that whole like equation and let's start making people in social media be social and you become social because i mean i know it's happened to you it's happened to me who we make friendships on instagram or facebook based on communicating things that we have in common and when you meet somebody it's like you've known them for years yeah. so but a like button doesn't do that right so anybody who's listening to this you better start realizing that if you're counting on that like button as being your your primary mode of engagement you better start getting used to perhaps commenting and being more forward with what you're thinking in relation to that content you don't have to comment on everything but there's so much content out there and something has to relate to you like you know i i i, I, I like dogs so when i see a picture of a friend of mine has a great dane oh those are cool great dane puppies or whatever and i saw him the other day and he says i'll sell you one cheap i said no thank you I, got, <laughs> no, I was like i have three dogs already uh but those type of of, of uh in, those type of comments or conversations happen very quickly and that like i'm saying it, it's out there now uh everything has to do with the level of decorum that you establish on your social media page because if people say well how's it going to be they're, they're strangers they're strangers until you make them friends right and you, how you handle that afterwards is very important. And again, that is universal, whether it be a nonprofit, whether it be a business, whether it be an individual, whether it be a social media influencer, but, or you just an everyday person who wants to have more friends in different places because you don't know who can come in handy in different... I mean, I've been contacted from the craziest places saying, hey, my son is in South Padre Island. How far is that from where you're at? Can you go help him do this? And you know, they think everything's right next to each other. Yeah. Of course, they will know that's two hours away. But the fact of the matter is they send you that message and I'll say, let me find you somebody. Yeah. And that's happened before where I'll make a phone call and say, so-and-so needs a you know, good mechanic who's out there that can help. So the world is huge, but it sure gets a lot smaller when you use social media to, to make those connections and make, make it small enough where you can know people in all parts of the world. And I think what, what a lot of business owners don't understand is when they start jumping onto social media and when they hire somebody like me, you know, I'm pushing out advertisements, stuff like that. So it's going out to the world now. They get negative feedback from people. For example, have a lawyer on board, right? And we got like five comments just saying lawyers or whatever, BS or stuff like that, just bashing them. But he was like, well, what's going on? I was like, well, you're putting your stuff into the world. Lawyers already have a bad connotation yeah. with people. So you're putting your stuff out in the world. People are going to respond. That's that's what they do. So my job as a, as a social media director, stuff like that, is to really, I guess, keep their image clean on, on social media, social media management. So I feel like there's there's a lot of things that nuances that a lot of people don't understand that goes on in the back end of, of social media. But keeping the image clean for for certain clients or for all your clients. Right is key to to be able to get their message out as wide as you want it to get instead of having that negative feedback because i mean people are people love their headline readers so they're going to go into the comments they're going to read all these things like no nah, that guy's not worth it so i feel like like certain things in certain industries i i like for myself i like to have people talking there so i like those negative comments because it stirs up a conversation yeah. but for a client i would never do that like delete, ban, whatever, hide comments, stuff like that. So have you seen that stuff in your industry? Well, I'll tell you what, of course I have. <laughs> you, uh, my dad used to joke and say there can be a guy giving out $10 bills in a corner and it'll be that person criticized that he should be giving out $20 bills. Yeah. You never have anybody happy, but if they're commenting, they're, they're looking at you. They're looking at your content. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. Now, we had, uh, they did a, a full-blown story on, on our food pantry because it's one of the more sizable, I'm not saying the only one here in, in the western part of Dow County, but I think it is probably the largest and probably the most active, even in this early stage. And I had somebody, I saw one of the sites or somebody screenshot and sent it to me where they had a uh, probably two paragraph long reasons why having a food pantry in, in La Jolla was bad. It, no, really being about space and about, you know, fire security and about how many people are going to be walking in there. And, you know, uh, you know, concerns, concerns. That's fine. I get it. But the good does overweigh the bad right. and in this world of social media you know i don't let the haters take all the fanfare and all all the good vibe all the vibes you know the haters are going to be the haters and i know people talk about haters we all have them i mean you can have the most uh righteous you know motivation but somebody's going to doubt you and say oh no that's what it's all about you know he, he's going to you know try to embezzle money he's on the take he's doing deals under the table i when i dealt that in, in government and people would make those type of accusations in uh, social media, I'll say, well, okay, prove it. 
And if you have proof, take it to the FBI, take it to Texas Rangers. There's always somebody willing to investigate. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even early on when I started, you know, engaging in, in or creating the social media platforms, I did have some, some, I mean, I had maybe 20, 20 followers on Instagram and they were giving me, giving me uh, negative feedback based on two posts. Wow. Two posts. I mean, there's not much you can say about two posts, but... You know, some man, some guy out there thought, and I finally, you know, I went backwards and forward with them to a point of like, if you want to know my motivation, come visit me in my office, you know, get, get away from that anonymous little, you know, avatar you have there because your name is not, you know, run, be the wind. Yeah. You, you have a name. Well, you know what? Come here, make an appointment or just drop by, knock on my door and say, I'm the guy of the day and here are my concerns. Yeah. But this thing about having these kind of ghost people making all sorts of, you know, uh, comments Somebody's behind some laptop or in, on their smartphone these days, it, not necessarily trying to create a good, but trying to create a bad. And I, I think that I think that that's their adrenaline. I, like a while ago, we talked about my adrenaline is helping communities. I think their adrenaline is being negative. Yeah. They just enjoy it. There's just so much negativity out there. It's it's, it's unbelievable. That's why when I was talking about TikTok, uh, I was I was I'm learning TikTok right now, so I'm trying to figure out the algorithms are really good, so you can pick up a lot of followers really, really I, fast. You said that, and and I felt like well. It's weird because I put out my stuff and then I looked at who was following me. They're little kids, like my my daughter's age, maybe even younger. Wow. And I was like, man, this is this is so weird. Like, do I want to be on this on this platform? And I felt like if I miss this boat where it's starting to to it's just barely starting, I can grow a big audience within the next year, I'm gonna miss that boat just because I said that I was I didn't want to be in it because there's kids on there. So I had to shift my mentality. It's like, well, I'm a positive person, so I can put the positivity out in TikTok. I, I see grown men on there doing stupid stuff. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I don't want our kids to look at us on TikTok and be like, these adults are dumb. Like, what are they doing? Right. So I, I want to go in there with uh, obviously the creative aspect where I, it allows me to be creative, but also be positive and, and impactful for the younger kids. And I noticed that the, the the positive stuff doesn't resonate really well with the kids, <laughs> but I'm gonna do it anyways because I, I feel like that's that's something I need to do. And, I, and my daughter's on it, so like when she's on TikTok, she's looking at my stuff too. So I want to be able to have that relationship, which is is on social media with my daughter. Like that's something we can talk about. Like, what did you do today with TikTok? I mean, I think that's cool. You know, you know. The fact that TikTok is, is young, I didn't know because I'm, you know what, I am going to tell you right now, my prediction, TikTok's going to be the next big thing. Uh, you know, Instagram grew exponentially from 500,000 to a million in a matter of years. And I think TikTok does have that. Um, but if you keep in your thoughts that Facebook used to be young, yeah. now it's for a lot of older people, but you don't, you, a lot of the younger people have fallen off the wagon. But when Facebook first started, it was for a bunch of college kids. Yeah. And then that transitioned. So... If TikTok right now, like you're telling me, because you've been playing with it more than I have, is for young people, it's just a matter of time before people catch on. And, and you know what? If it's about entertainment, you know what? You can get entertainment and intertwined positivity and, and some you know, good thoughts, some good positive creative thoughts that make somebody want to create something good too. Like uh, 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 you know, the Snapchat, Snapchat version of, of, I'm sorry, the Snapchat version that exists on Instagram is Insta Story, and I tried Snapchat first, and I couldn't get a lot of viewership. But look at me—I'm an old guy, you know, big mustache, big beard. I mean, I don't think my message resonated well with that group. It, I mean, I, I did okay, but I—but that trained me to go and try Instagram Story, and I've done very well Instagram Story. Yeah. So if TikTok is starting off young, you know, I want to say those young minds that give everything a chance. Are uh, people like myself are necessary? Are probably more guarded. So we're not going to give something like TikTok a chance. And then you see what it's about because it's kind of goofy and funny. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you got some music and it's got a little bit, I call them vignettes. You know, it's a little story and a little slapstick there every once in a while. But within that, I think that people can train themselves on how to be interesting, informative and fun on social media because that does sell also. Yeah. If that's what it trains you to do, then you're on the right track because it's not always about being serious. And you and I know that if you're trying to sell your legal service, let's say, you're not going to put ad after ad after ad after ad after ad after ad. You're going to throw in there a little video, a little inspirational quote. You might put in a picture of your family because let's just face it, it's like a magazine, the magazine of your life and of your business. And it has to have variety because yeah. life is about variety. It's not just about one thing. 
So I want to jump into the next subject. You before before bold media before all this stuff, you're known as the border mayor. Yeah, you have a very, you know what you're talking about when it comes to the border. You were in New York. Yeah, you were on a show. Touch on that because I find that super. And I I know a lot of my listeners have reached out to me because uh, I do talk about certain things and and certain people resonate with certain people. And I know. When I had uh, Arnaldo Matan, which is a populations expert, he was talking about the declining uh, population in the Rio Grande Valley. And I know certain things resonate with people. So I know this specific conversation is a resonate with a lot of people that are looking for this type of stuff. So talk about how you got into to being such so knowledgeable about being the border. Right. And then talk about your experience going into it. Well, the border, I've said it before, I'll say it again, uh, for my somebody like myself who grew up in Rio Grande City and the river, the international boundary that separates Mexico and the United States was two and a half minutes from where I lived, you know, three minutes maybe from when I went to school. And it was a very common thing. When I was going through the border experience of living in Rio Grande City, I didn't realize I knew as much as I did. It took my wife to say, well, you know what? Cause I kept on saying when they would get these experts out, well, they're, they're missing the point. That's way off base. Like they, they, that's not correct. I kept on correcting them. And and uh, the well, thanks to the advent of Twitter, I started correcting people on immigration because my knowledge came from living it, not just studying it or reading it on a, on a demographic study. And uh, my wife encouraged me to start considering myself an, an expert because there's very few things along the border, Josh, that I don't understand, whether how immigration is changing, how I mean, I joked with somebody yesterday and said, I go back far enough to remember when it was, most of the immigrants were all from Mexico because they're not anymore, because immigration, like everything else, changes. But I, I embraced the who I was, because it's not, you know, something that I thought was interesting, or I didn't think that it was useful, like that doesn't everybody know this, yeah. until I realized that no, they don't. They don't know uh, what it, a border community goes through, what the challenges are for their, for their police officers or the fire department, what the challenges are for the everyday person who lives, you know, in, in those communities, because they see an eyeful of the real immigration world that nobody else does. And when I went to New York City, it went even past the point of, of, of what I felt was normal in along the border to be, it, things were extraordinary when they really weren't. And, you know, when I told them that every time we traveled north, 75 miles from where I live, I have to go to a checkpoint and they asked me a question. You American citizen. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, that doesn't happen. Oh, yeah, it does. Called the checkpoint in Falfurius, the one in Hemmerville. They exist. We go to a checkpoint. That boggled their mind wow. in New York. And, you know, you mean like, you know, coming into the country? I said, no, it's not coming to the country. It's in Texas. But we grew up, that was our Americana. We grew up, you know, with that understanding. And even some people were saying, well, aren't you offended? You should complain. Or didn't you protest? I said, no. Been a part of who we are since my existence. So I, I don't have a problem you know, embracing it. And the thing about border issues, unless people out there that are living it, Josh, and know it and, and, are, and don't express it, then the voices that pretend to know it are going to sound louder than yours and are going to get more traction than yours. Even to this very day, I, I was reading a story yesterday in the Texas Tribune that I didn't have a chance to comment on because I got busy here, but they was talking about how the border fence is going to affect Rio Grande City and having to do with flooding. Right now, I can tell you, I'm 100% sure that if that fence goes in the city limits of Rio Grande City, it's going to flood Rio Grande City. Wow. Now, I'm 100% sure, and I'll tell you how, how I tell you that. I know that the uh, drainage of Rio Grande City is 100% surface drainage. We have no underground drainage. So if you put a barrier uh, along the, the, the terrain, eventually something's going to get in there, it's going to block it. And I told that to uh, the congressmen, to the senators, to everybody who would listen, and nobody gave me the time of day. And I even to the point of asking them, well, if you're going to do that, then, you know, give us $10 million to create drainage so we won't, we, we won't drown. And they said, well, that's not what the border wall is about, or border fence is about. You know, fast forward now, I'm not there anymore, but uh, the knowledge and, the, and the, the understanding still runs through me. And I wish that I had time enough to address those issues and let people know what a border, like if people call it a border wall, it's not a wall. Get, get, get over that. It's not a wall. It's a fence. You can see right through it. And it's a reason you want to see right through it because if you can see through it, it gives the law enforcement people a chance to respond to whatever they're seeing. They're using their senses. So it's not that difficult to understand. What I've told them before also about the border wall or the border fence as it applies to Star County, put it in areas that are, that are more likely to allow for a quick access, meaning you can walk across the river. Because a lot, in Rio Grande City proper or in Roma proper, 
the river is anywhere from six to as much as 12 feet deep. Wow. So you know what? What better wall do you want than that? Yeah. All you we need to do is put extra officers out there, extra agents, I'm sorry, extra agents out there to uh, take care of whatever comes across and then you process them. But again, that's the whole thing about border. But I embrace it. That's who I am. That's what I know. That's what I grew up knowing. And yes, I studied. I studied extensively when uh, the first border crisis happened in 2014. I was in close communication with the governor's office. I would talk every week with our senators, you know, Cornyn and, and Cruz and uh, Congressman Cuellar. I mean, they would call me every, you know, 10, 12 days and how things were going. And I would give them a real, you know, perspective of what was happening. So that's how border mayor happened. And but the thing about it, instead of shunning it away, I embraced it and I embraced not the criticism, but the experts questioning me. Uh, if, if I couldn't defend myself, believe you me, even in New York City, they would have sent me back quickly. Yeah. But I held my own. And I say that proudly because I'm a product of the Rogani Valley. Uh, I educated in public schools. I went to Pan American University here in the valley. So people like the way I sound of what I do or how I present myself. You know what? If you're from the valley, pat yourself, pat yourself in the back because you know I'm one of you all. So this border fence, when is it expected to go up here? It's uh, expected to go up in, in Star County. I think within the next 12 to 14, 16 months. So you're already you're anticipating that it will get flooded. Yes, it's going to happen. It, oh, look, I've seen so many proposed maps for where it's going to go. What I encourage the uh, federal government to do is don't put it within the city limits of Rio Grande City, meaning. You know, uh, Rio Grande City is a very old town, and we're very close, very close to the to the banks of the river. So what I told them to do is put it in, you know, either side. I'm not saying, look, in some areas, a border wall is a good solution because, again, the, the, the river is not very deep and you can walk across. Put it in those areas and channel people towards the cities. It sounds kind of crazy, but you already have law enforcement uh, there. You have local police departments, you have local sheriff's departments, you have border patrol agents, you channel them to the, where the populations are. And we're used to being able to uh, be of service and say, hey, there's some people that are walking down the street, I, I, they're probably up to no good. You're bringing in the residents into a part of the solution, letting people know what's happening in your community to help law enforcement quick, act, react quicker to the real on the ground activities of, of immigrants coming in. Like, again, uh, this is not about being pro-immigrant or anti-immigrant. It's about having borders that we control and that we understand are a part of, of, of what we need for overall border security. You know, one up and down the border, Josh, I'm in, in Rio Grande City. I've been in Brownsville. I've been in Laredo and Roma. Not one single person has ever told me, I don't want border security. It's a bad idea. Open the borders. That whole thing about open borders, I don't even know where it came from. That doesn't exist down here. Everybody understands that you have to have some level of control. And the minute that people realize that level of control happens when you bring all the assets you have, including the people that live along the border in communities, using their knowledge because they know their community better than anybody else. And I can tell you in Rio Grande City, when I was there on a daily basis, I could spot out uh, an immigrant who just crossed the river. I don't care how he was dressed or what, what he was wearing. I could spot him and make a good assessment. People call it profiling. I don't care what you call it. Mm -hmm. Just by the way they walked. Wow. Just but and you say, well, well what do you mean when I walked? They walked faster. They were looking behind their back constantly. They looked they looked lost because they didn't know the community. I mean, and I'm not the only one. Every all kinds of immigrant. Right. You know, we knew who they were. But it's not profiling. That's just what we learned to identify. And obvious sometimes, like I'm saying, you would see the opposite where you knew they were immigrants because they're sitting under a tree, literally dehydrated and exhausted. And you're like, what do you need? And they would, first thing was water. So I want to say that in my experience also, 100% of the time when that would happen, the residents that I know and that I saw were always ready to give a helping hand, but did also call the authorities because that person's best chance of survival is not going through the wilderness one more time. It's getting you help. Right. That way you can recuperate. And then you know what? That the processes of the law handle whatever they have to. That's interesting. Um, I was going to ask you, your knowledge how would you fix the border crisis? Fix border crisis. I would uh, implement a lot of technology, and I mean really solid, high technology. Driving in here, you saw the, uh, you saw the they're called TARS, Tethered Aerostat Radar Systems. Uh, that technology came in in 2014. If I told you that technology is three decades old, it's been around for 30 years, and it finally hit the border. 
there's technology, Josh, that can read a license plate from what a mile up in the sky. Wow. So if we have so much technology, how come we're not implementing, you know, smart barriers instead of creating barriers that are questionable at best? And the the lack of, 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 of desire by the federal government to be able to incorporate what really works instead of finding one Band-Aid blanket solution saying, oh, a border fence, a border wall is going to fix everything. It's not. It's just going to create a, an industry for taller ladders and more ropes. And if we want to fix the problem, it's called comprehensive immigration reform. You look at everything from how people apply for work visas. You look at how uh, people uh, apply for jobs and, and are, are uh, expected to have the right documentation. Uh, it, it's about bringing everything together, you know, bringing in DACA, finding solutions to the everyday multifaceted problem that immigration is. You know, what people don't realize, say, well, we have a big problem with, with people who shouldn't be here. And what people don't realize is that 40% of the uh, people that are here illegally are here because of overstay visas. So they came in a legal process, but they basically abused it. So, you know, there's a lot of things that can be done to fix it. It takes good legislation. And I, people say it cannot be done. I remind them that around 1987, 88, Ronald Reagan passed comprehensive immigration reform back in the 80s, 30 some years ago. And since then, nothing has been done. So if uh, lawmakers want to fix the problem, all this stuff is going on with presidents and, and President Trump and all these people running for president. Not one single person is talking about comprehensive immigration reform. I ask that they go back to the plan of Ronald Reagan. It wasn't perfect. But it wasn't supposed to be perfect. It was supposed to be a starting point for you to build. And we've forgotten that. So you add a lot of smart technology. We do need more agents, without a doubt. We do need more agents. And I'm going to tell you that you put a wall or barriers exactly, specifically where they're needed. When people have said, oh, are you for against the, the wall or the fence or the wall? My comeback to them is always, well, where exactly do you want to put it? Right. Don't tell me it works everywhere. It does work in some locations. So... It's a multifaceted solution. It's not difficult to figure out, but there's no desire within the government to figure it out right now. You were talking about immigrants that earlier. You remember when immigrants were only from Mexico. What do you see now? Well, even as far as 2016, when I was already not in the system anymore, uh, we were seeing people from Central America, a lot of Central America, South America. Uh, we, I didn't personally see anybody from the, the Mideast. I understand there's a lot of Mideast movement now. Uh, I did see people from China. I got to see that, you know, back then, people from China. So the, the faces of immigration have changed from, from being uh, Mexicans to what we, they call, or they call within the framework, it's called OTM, other than Mexicans. And uh, OTM is a very common term now, but back then it was very uncommon because all the immigrants coming across were from Mexico, you know, looking for work or whatnot. But now they're coming from all over the world. And the reason that they're coming in and they're, they're causing uh, so much of disruption in the immigration system is because our immigration laws are terrible. They don't address the needs of today. I mean, they were written decades ago and they haven't been modified to reflect what's going on in today's world. So how would, how would that sound then, like right now? How, how would that wording for the immigration laws, would, what do you propose what it would look like on paper? On paper, you know, Josh, that would be, that, there's some legislation that was, has been written out there and I've read some good parts of it, but it, it would really have to... Uh, create a very definite process of how it is that you have, that you can qualify to come here. And I say qualify, because coming in here would be a privilege. And what disqualifies you from coming here? Uh, what you would need also is a lot of, a lot of judges in, in immigration courts to be able to process the immigrants coming in in a much more expedient fashion. What's happening now is you have immigrants coming from uh, Central America, and they're given a court date two years down the line. Well, what's going to happen to the immigrant? Well, he gets into the communities of this country and does he come back? Well, who knows? But the process has to be much more clear, has to be more uh, respectful of a process, a, a way to come in here lawfully. And if you're coming in here unlawfully, uh, then you'll be processed and be sent back. But what it requires to be sent back or what it requires to stay here is such a gray area. And it shouldn't be. Yeah. Now, again, you know, am I... Am I uh, the absolute last authority? Of course not. But I can tell you that legislation is the answer. Good, solid legislation would fix a lot of our problems, but I don't hear anybody proposing any right now. 
Interesting. So what is it about America that, that has all these people wanting to come over here? Is it, is it the American dream? Or what, of course what it's the American say? dream. I mean, I want to tell you what, uh, of the men, and believe you me, I talked to hundreds of thousands of immigrants during my time. And when I would see them, I would ask them, what brings you here? Pa que viene? I want to say that 100% of the men would say a job, wow. opportunity. I mean, you want to make $35, uh, you know, uh, a week in Mexico and I'm saying a good paying job or you want to make 10 bucks an hour, you know, doing whatever, whatever hard labor is out there. So they wanted to create more opportunity for themselves and their family. And what is new also was females coming across, you know, the immigrant that was that was female. That's new, too. That didn't happen back in 2010, 2009, even 11 and 12. The first time I saw it was around 13 that I started seeing you know, females coming here, when I would ask them 100% of the females that came across, they would always tell me they wanted more opportunity for their children because they had some, that was 100% of them. I mean, and I talked to a lot of them. So yes, this is the, the land of promise and the land. you know, what distinguishes this country? If you want to work hard, you want to bust your butt, you're going to succeed. You're going to have nice things, nice things for your family. It's not that way everywhere in this world here. You can have a, a dream to have a podcast that goes global. And you know what? In the United States of America, it has a chance of going global. In other parts, I would probably, in other parts of this country, I'd probably say has no chance of going global. Here, you're, you, you're set, you're realist, and people call them dreams. I call it a plan. If you have a plan, you'll get far. Whether it be in, in this social media world, or whether it be in housing, or whether it be in the world of politics, or the world, or the world of, of education, if you have a plan, and you're willing to, to put the hours in, and I don't mean eight to five, Josh. This idea of, by eight to five, I mean, how often do you work eight to five? No, I don't know. <laughs> I, I want to tell you what, that's one thing my, my, my father taught me early on. He says, if you just want to be average, you, eight, you go eight to five. If you want to be extraordinary what you do, you put in the long hours, yeah. 14, 15 hour days. Okay, you know what? That's what it takes. That's what it takes. But that sacrifice and putting in long hours is not something everybody wants to do. But again, you, you, hear, you see a lot of immigrants be successful. The number one thing they have in common is they put in the extra hours. Yeah. They suffered through some hardships and it didn't matter if the hardships were, were going to last a day or a year or 10 years or five years. They knew that eventually it was going to pay off. And what I see 100% of, of the immigrants and or the Americans, the native born Americans who've been successful, they put in the extra effort and the extra time. Why do you have such a positive attitude? Wow, nobody's ever asked me before. Um, I, I believe in the power of the human spirit can, can conquer anything. You know, the, you know, we as human beings are give our own limitations. We, we, we create barriers for ourselves. I can't come out on camera or I, I, don't, I don't look good in my right side or I can't do that because it's something that I don't understand. I, I don't like doing math. Well, you know what? Do just enough math or put yourself out there. Try. I mean, let me put it this way. When I started putting myself out there as the border mayor or in social media, it was very hard. When I was learning how to edit, it was very hard. Coming into this job as a housing authority uh, uh, director has been challenging because I don't know it all, but I know I'm willing to learn and I know I'm willing to, to adapt. And that, I, I don't even call it a positive attitude. I, I just call it an attitude of, of, of self-fulfillment. Fulfill yourself. Choose, your, choose whatever you want to be in life or how you want to do it. Make a plan and then stick to that plan. And don't, you, don't vary off that plan ever. The number one mistake that people do, Josh, they make a plan. They think it out really well. And then think they're tough. Oh, I better try this. I better take, take a different turn because that's not going to work. Yeah. Stay the course, even through difficult moments. And when I, uh, if I come across as positive to you, you know what? Thank you for thinking that way. I'm not trying to be positive. I'm trying to portray who I am within my soul. And letting people know that you can succeed at what you want. I've never been the per person, Josh, that's, I've no, I don't want a million dollars in the bank, but I would get such a thrill to help the lives of a million people. Yeah. That would excite me. That used to, that still excites me. And um, case in point here, I am in a housing authority where if, if my abilities to talk or to reason or to learn uh, help families succeed, and if one of a few families of those succeed and find a more prosperous life, I, I will be happy. That's my adrenaline. So I feel like a lot of uh, people now live such is such in a negative space. Uh, it's very hard, like mental health. I, I always try to tackle mental health in every podcast because I feel like a lot of young people and even even older people, they, they experience depression, but they never talk about it. They never they never put it out there. So it's very taboo to talk about these things. 
And I feel like, uh, have you ever heard of psilocybin? Mm-mm. So it's it's a it's a mushroom that they've been using for people that have depression. They've actually been using it in cancer patients to help them ease the anxiety and stuff like that. And uh, what it brought that up is is I guess when you get older, you start thinking about more mortality, right? Yeah. So when you get older, you start experiencing life. You see people pass away. You see people move different di- different areas in life, right? And uh, I saw something that was very profound that. Uh, I've been listening to quite a bit, doing some research on it. Psilocybin is a mushroom that they they are using now for medical research for helping cancer patients to, uh, I guess, get rid of anxiety, stuff like that. But one of the ladies, and these are guided, these are guided uh, therapy sessions. Mm-hmm. And she was saying that she, she did the whole therapy session. And when she came out of there, she was like, there's nothing after this. I she says just black like she experienced what life would be after this so for me those things really mess with my mind it's like well, what's after this like i don't know if, if you ever heard of sensory deprivation tanks yeah my, my wife just did this past weekend yeah, yeah. I've, I've been doing it for the past month and when i'm in there and i get into that meditative space there's literally nothing like there's nothing at all so i i went in there hoping that i would be coming out of there with more answers and, and stuff like that. But when I got out of there, I just felt like there's nothing like, so that really has me questioning life. Like, like we're only here for a very short time and nobody knows if there's anything after this. So I think my mind is shifting. It's like, you know, I'm going to try to get as much done as possible as I possibly can while I'm here but also be a good father because I want to enjoy life with my family. Right. So I just feel like, I don't know what your thoughts are on mortality, but for me, it's shifted a little because it's kind of lit a fire under my ass. Like I thought I was doing stuff. Now I want to do even more stuff just to get out there. So what do you, what are your thoughts? on? Well, that? I mean, let me tell you what I going back. I, a lot of people can make a million bucks, but you don't take it when you go. Yeah. Uh, but if you change the world for a few people, not few people, change the world for a lot of people and you go, I'm not saying you'll be remembered, but at some point you can get satisfaction in knowing that whether they know or not, you had some part in making their life better. Uh, that, that satisfies me an awful lot. I, I, I question life in a different way. I've never had that where, you know, what's the world about? What's life going to happen? You know, what, what should I do? I always knew what my purpose was, but not all the time. I think probably around the ages of my mid thirties, I started getting a self-awareness to, you know, what I really wanted to leave in this world or what I want to, how I want people to look at me in this world. I, I believe in chivalry. I, I believe in respect. I believe in, in dignity. And I believe in, in uh, the inner strength of people to supersede and to work beyond whatever is normal or whatever is considered normal for them. Uh, uh, I do consider myself an overachiever. Um, but I used to uh, hide that because I thought it was a bad thing until I embraced it. And now I want to overachieve in everything I do. And I'll die trying. That's one thing for sure. I, I will tell, I've told people that if, if even hire, giving me this opportunity, I told them, if you, if you want the person that's going to fix everything, I will. Take me a little while. But if you want the person that's going to walk in here and do a mediocre job just to keep a paycheck in their pocket, I'm not your guy. Right. Hire the next person. So, as we go on in life, and I'm older than you are, Josh, and, uh, you know, as, as you know, I, I am in the youth of old age. I'm 56, I'm going to be 57 years old. Um, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again, if, if all I did was what I did before, as far as my community work, as far as my public service to, to Maceria Vero Grande, I'll be satisfied because I know I did some really cool things. Now I'm given another opportunity. I'm very grateful for that. But as we go on, the, the only answer that you will know for sure is that there is more. There always is more. Yeah. Uh, but what that more is, is what you define. You want more family life. You want more joy. Uh, yeah, for some people, you want more money. If that does it for you, fine. You know? But understand that whatever you choose to be that more, better, fulfill, better fill you up every day. You know, when I walk out of here as office, I walk out of here exhausted. I can't create too much like I used to. But I don't have that sense of... I'm not where I need to be. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy in, in my life with my wife and, and my family, and, and it, it's very fulfilling. But if young people are looking to be 
fulfilled. Don't leave somebody else's expectations. Live up to yours. And that's what I see a lot of times. It's, you know, well, I'm doing this because, you know, this is what I expected of me. I'm a teacher, but I really want to be an artist. Okay, well, at some point, you know what? Build a little nest egg because I'm a practical guy. And then you make that big dive into be, trying to become an artist, mm-hmm. knowing all well that, that there's no net under you. Mm-hmm. A lot of what I have done, Josh, has been the crazier that I think as far as my ability to help people, the, the more satisfied I, I become within myself. You know, uh, like even like is here in the housing, what do you want to do next? Well, I want to have roofs and I want to paint it. I want to fix it. I want to create an environment. This place is going to be a happy place to live. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even having that goal doesn't seem like it's all that in a bag of chips for somebody. But for me, it gives me a lot of satisfaction. Mm-hmm. So the old question about what's in it for life, well, that, that's different for everybody. But what I will tell you that, that I think everybody should do is, is we do need more good role models. We do need more respect. We do need more uh, pride in, in, in who we are as a culture. You know, this whole thing about, you know, racism and blacks and whites and browns. And you know what? It takes all kind of people to make the world go round. And uh, the more different we are, I think it makes us stronger. So, you know, we don't have to agree on everything, but we can agree on, agree on, on some things. And one of the things that I hope we all agree on is that we want good things for our neighbor. Yeah, so. I 100% agree. So before we finish off the podcast, I, I always ask this to my guests. I want your best piece of advice that you would give anybody. Um, my best piece of advice, usually I, I go to my hat and I read it because I each one of my hats has something, but I'm not going to fall back on that. I think this hat says uh, uh, an opinion matters, but a vote counts. Make sure yours does. So uh, that would be my hat uh, philosophy. But if I will give one piece of advice to everybody is, you know, uh, decide. Always decide. Whatever it is, whatever you're going to do in life, decide. Uh, Indecision will be your worst enemy as you go on in life. So decide. Make a decision and uh, stick with it. Decide. Ruben, I appreciate your time. I've all, I'm always super appreciative of everybody's time. If they're giving me their time, I completely respect Hey, Josh, it. you're hitting the right track. You keep on this podcasting stuff. I know that I had Mandy walk in here, and she was doing and on because I was in a podcast, but you, you put a lot of pride into this, this format, and I think it's a great thing for the entire Rogani Valley in Texas, so you go at it. Congratulations. Ruben, I'll talk to you soon, brother. Thank you. Bye-bye. Welcome to the Joshua Morales Podcast.